What up, all you beautiful misfits and rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 262 of Misfits and Rejects. In today's episode, I spoke with Marisol Camacho from Roaming the Now podcast. Marisol came on the podcast because I reached out through a expat group that I'm involved with here in Mexico and thinking that I was just going to get tons of people who wanted to share their stories. And funny enough, she was the only one who reached out. But that's not to say I wouldn't have loved to have her on, which is why I did, because funny enough, she has a podcast, like I mentioned, which is essentially about expats, the psychology of expats, the emotional side of being expats, those who are drawn to the life of becoming an expat. And she talks a lot about topics that I'm extremely interested in. So it was a pleasure having her on the pod because we really connected on this subject matter of expat life. And as she likes to call it, global nomads. And she's a coach enabling people to reach out to her and ask any question they might have about specifically moving to Mexico. And she obviously has a wealth of knowledge of if you are moving abroad somewhere else, what you need to think about the types of things you might encounter. Cause as she says, you can't escape yourself. And so if you are somebody who's trying to run away from something, that thing will follow you no matter where you decide to relocate to. So it was a really cool conversation. She's a very intuitive lady, and I have no doubt you're going to get a lot from this episode, and you should definitely check out her podcast as well, Roaming the Now. If you're a first-time listener, please hit that subscribe button on whatever you're listening to Misfits and Rejects on. And if you'd like to support Misfits and Rejects, you can do that in one of two ways. You can do that via Patreon, which is a website that allows fans of Misfits and Rejects to give a monthly donation, whatever you want. Some fans are donating $1. Some fans are donating $25. The sky's the limit. It's up to you. Nothing is expected. It's all appreciated. And if you just wanted to do a one-time donation, that's fine as well. But what you'd have to do is sign up, subscribe, give that donation, and then cancel your account. That's the only way they really allow you to do one-time donations. The other way you can support Misfits and Rejects is by buying a t-shirt. You can head over to misfitsandrejects.com backslash shop and pick up a Misfits and Rejects t-shirt. So thank you for joining us today. I have no doubt you'll love this episode. Marisol lives in a very cool place in Mexico, which she'll explain. I had never heard of it, and it's always interesting to meet another expat who's living in a location other than, for example, like Cancun, Playa del Carmen, you know, Cabo San Lucas, you know, the main hubs for a lot of expats in Mexico. Uh, she lives in a Puebla Mexica, which you will learn what that means in the episode to come. And it was just cool to know that there's just so many more beautiful places that I haven't discovered out there, which I can't wait to visit. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Marisol Camacho. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today, I'm joined by Marisol Camacho from Roaming the Now podcast. Marisol, welcome to the show. Hi, Chapin. Thanks for having me. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Yeah, I'm really happy you reached out because you're the only one who did. I blasted a big sort of like welcome to my podcast, anyone who's interested on our expat community here in Mexico on Facebook. 
And I legitimately thought that I would get an abundance of people interested in sharing their stories. And that wasn't the case, but you were nice enough to reach out. And I'm so happy you did because after kind of doing a little bit of digging on you, you seem really interesting. I'm happy to have you. Ah, thanks so much. Yes, I know what it's like reaching out for podcast guests and you think, yeah, everyone's going to be like, I want to come. And then it's like crickets. <laughs> yeah, I find I've been doing this now about eight years and you know, I have such a love and enthusiasm for ex- expat culture and just expats in general. And I'm always shocked that they don't want to tell more of their story and about themselves. But then, you know, as you get embedded in these communities, you kind of realize that is our nature. Like we are kind of either running from something or, you know, very introverted private people who don't want to be found, you know, or I mean, the list goes on and on, as you probably know at this point. So, can you just give us a little bit of your background before we dive into what you do and, and why you're cho- you've chosen to live in Mexico? Yeah, of course. Um, I will definitely dive into who I am. So my name is Marisol. I actually grew up in Washington State. Um, I joke that I progressively made my way down the border because I moved from Washington State to San Francisco. Then I lived in Orange County, and then I made my way to Mexico. Um, <laughs> so it's a running joke I have. and. Um, My background is I'm a certified professional coach. I'm also a trauma-informed coach certified in that area. And I worked in corporate America, specifically like tech in San Francisco for about eight years. Um, I burned out really, really bad. And that really started the journey to do life differently. So I quit, left San Francisco. I was like, what am I going to do next? Right. So that's how I found coaching and it being a tool to help people and really dove more into the emotional, psychological, spiritual aspects of, of how we function in the world. And that really led me on a deep, I would say, self-awareness journey um, to looking at myself. And through that journey, I was suddenly called to move to Mexico. So I hadn't been to what I call like real Mexico. Like I don't consider Tulum or Cancun Mexico for me. Um, just being that I, I do have family here uh, that I've grown up seeing back and forth. And then I suddenly got the call in like July, 2021. It's like time to come back to Mexico and like visit Mexico city, right? Like go and immerse yourself in the culture. I came to visit a friend and it was on that trip. I had this really big moment of clarity. I was sitting on a rock in Valle de Bravo And I was meditating and I just really clearly got nothing changes if nothing changes. And for me, what was going on in the background at that time of my life was I had been trying to make my marriage work for like two years. It really wasn't going anywhere. The job that I was working in at that time, while I was coaching on the side, I still had my corporate nine to five, was really not who I was. And it just kind of felt like I was being called to do something really different. Um, so obviously, you know, the trip ends, reality comes back. And I just remember standing in the airport feeling like I don't want to go back. I feel like I'm home. And I had never really felt that sensation of home. And like, really, I, I never really anticipated feeling like home would be in Mexico. But when I got back to the U.S., I always kind of describe it as it was the restructuring of a life that really wasn't me. And part of the first step of creating a more authentic life to me was moving to Mexico. I started from my then husband, 
packed up all my stuff, sold the stuff I wasn't bringing and then boarded a flight, um, one-way ticket to LAX, basically trusting I was going to figure out how I was going to live in Mexico. I had some family here and figuring out my visa and things along the way. Let's unpack that because you know this does come a lot come up a lot within my podcast. You know these moments that compel us to do something drastic and do something like for yourself. It sounds like you left a marriage. Uh, you obviously left your country of origin. Were you born in Mexico or were you born in the states? I was born in Sumner, Washington. <laughs> Got it. Um, two huge steps to take at once. So I'm thinking there might have been a lot of fear surrounding that, maybe anxiety, possibly a little depression. Can you maybe take us through some of the emotional turmoil you faced and then what kind of actions you took to deal with it and move through it? Yeah. So the first thing I'll say is leaving a marriage is a big thing in general, um, but also living with your spouse pre like parting ways is another like emotional layer. (laughs) that I really don't recommend. But that was kind of just the situation that we were in. Um, And, you know, also to add on top of, I was getting ready to leave my nine to five. So it was kind of like three months to prepare for like three major changes. And what I really did during that time, I I refer back to it as probably one of the hardest times like to date, because there was just so much unknown and I'm really grateful I had a friend who was there to support me through all of it. Um, I had like it was definitely a lot of phone conversations and am I doing the right thing? Am I not doing the right thing? A lot of long walks. Um, there was a trail by my house, and I just used to go and walk and just sit and really just contemplate, you know, is this really, you know, it's interesting. I, I have to say this because. It was more my mind that was psyching me out, like the thoughts. It wasn't really like, as I call, like my intuition or like my deep gut knowing. My deep gut knowing was like, you just got to trust this. Like, this is actually the right move and direction for you. And how do you just like tune out the noise? And so it was a constant struggle of back and forth of should I stay? Should I go? I mean, obviously I was getting a divorce, but do I like go back to my dad's like in Washington state? There was just so much emotional turmoil that I would say what got me through it was support as well as just like keeping that commitment to myself. And I know that's going to sound like really strange, but I made the decision that I was moving and I told people and I was just like, we're going. There's really no looking back. You know, I, I internally said I need to try it for at least three months, six months, see how it goes. But I will never know if I don't try. And I would say that I live my life that way. Um, I don't know if I don't try. So I will try (laughs) so that I know. And then I kind of just reroute directions based on how I feel about the outcome. I like that. I can really relate. You know, one, it's come up for me and within conversation that the saying to others is definitely a factor that holds you accountable. Because I mean, I don't know about you, but I feel very embarrassed if I tell somebody I'm going to do something that I don't. And then the fear as well of not trying, laying on my deathbed, looking back and just having that overwhelming sense of like, I should have at least tried has come up a lot for me and other guests as well in conversation. And those seem to be two very powerful factors that can motivate someone to stay the course. So when you, sounds like you left San Francisco, went to LA, and then were you crossing the border via Tijuana or were you going to just fly to Mexico City again? 
Yeah. So I flew from LAX directly to Mexico City, and then I took a bus to Toluca, um, where I lived for see, the first eight months of being in Mexico is Toluca, which is quite, it's not really normal for an expat <laughs> because like no one really speaks English in Toluca. It's a suburb that's about an hour outside of Mexico City. Um, and I was really immersed in what does it mean to like be an actual person who was born and raised here and live the life. Do you speak Spanish? Um, when I first got here, it was rusty. <laughs> but you grew so, up in a household uh, with a father who I'm assuming spoke fluently, and then you were just mm-hmm. around it enough to pick up plenty. Yes, exactly. So my I this is actually a really interesting part of the story to share. So my dad came to the US when he was like three months old. Um, so he pretty much is uh, born and raised in America, uh, not born, but raised in America. Um, and there was a level of cultural assimilation from my parents, even though they were both of Latinx background. Uh, they didn't really primarily speak Spanish in the household. It was really English because it was that desire to assimilate to American culture. So with that being said, I did grow up around it, you know, in visiting Mexico and being around it. I always would say, like, I understand Spanish. However, Coming to Mexico and living here and being immersed in like the different dialects of it really made me realize like, oh, I understand Spanish if it's like textbook, but if it's not textbook Spanish, it's like, whoa, this is not, Mm. what are you saying? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've struggled for years. I found out at 41 years old that I have like an audio processing disorder. So it's just like everything coming in is gibberish to me and it takes such a uh, a kind empathic person to really work with me and like slow down what they're saying and use very simple terminology. Um, cause I can speak way better and understand. Like it just sounds like gibberish to me, but that's why I'm here to face that challenge in my life and, and try to, this is one goal I have that I'd like to complete before I die, which is speak fluent Spanish. So. Yeah, no, definitely. Yo puedo hablar en español. Muy fluido ahora, pero yeah, in the beginning. No, <laughs> nice. It nice. was really, it was really challenging for me because I realized that like this, it's just different. And through living in different areas of Mexico, I've learned that every region has its own way of speaking Spanish. So there is actually not one universal way of speaking Spanish, contrary to what people think. <laughs> right. Just to give some clarity for the audience, um, you know, a lot of people always wonder, well. You just quit your full-time job. Did you have a nice little nest egg to land in Mexico with that was going to allow you at least a runway to figure yourself out and how you're going to make ends meet? And if so, how much was it, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah. So I'm really happy to share this because I think that this is really, really important. Um, So I started taking my finances really, really seriously, probably in my, my early 20s. Okay. And so... I had been in this really habitual routine of saving money just to save money because I think it's really important to have a nice stake. And I had been working for an organization that I still work for as a contract career coach. So I'm a 1099 employee. I use my own equipment. I work for them on certain projects. And that role had really started to pick up and demand more of my time as I was getting ready to move and leave my nine to five. Um, as well as the fact that I had a home in the US that I had sold my like portion of and everything. So I moved probably with about 40,000 USD 
to hold me over while I figured everything out. But I also had income coming in because I was already making money online. Okay. Nice. Very cool. And then, so it sounds like you bounced around, started in Mexico City, and then did you go multiple other places prior to settling where you're at now? Yes. So I spent eight months in Toluca, um, but I moved around like different areas of Toluca. So I lived in a little bit more of a residential area. I lived a little bit more in a city area. I kind of moved where like the Airbnbs were nicer. (laughs) And then I, before deciding I was going to buy a home here, because I was starting to get really tired of bouncing around, like just living out of your suitcases, not having an office space. Like it just was starting to take a toll on me. So I had decided that I needed to actually, this is a fun part of the story. I decided that I actually needed to decide, am I going to stay here long-term or am I going to go back home? Because I'm really tired of moving around. Like I really want to settle somewhere, but I haven't quite like figured out where I want to settle. And so through my time of living in Toluca, it's really close to like Valle de Bravo, Colorinas. Um, you can go to Ixtapan de Sal, Malinalco, which is where I live now. I started exploring a lot of places and really started to attain the idea of living in a pueblo, right? Like living in a pueblo mágico and being away from all the noise of the city because I had always lived in cities, right? Like I lived in San Francisco, even Orange County, even though it's a suburb, there's a lot of people there. There's a lot to do. And it just kind of hit me like it's time to do something different that you've never done. So why not live in a pueblo mágico town? And then the opportunity to buy homes here came up. And so I committed to that decision. But before that, when I was figuring things out, I committed to living in Mexico City for three months. <laughs> and let me tell you, when I lived in Mexico City, I lived in Viaducto, which I would definitely say is a more like blue collar class of Mexico. And then I lived in Coyacan, which is definitely not blue collar. It's a very different level. I lived in a, a like a penthouse when I was living there. And, you know, I've had a really good opportunity to see the different ways of life in Mexico. Right now, I live in a Pueblo Mexico, but I also lived in Coyacan. I used to spend time in Polanco, too. Uh, and then also Valladolid, seeing a different side of Mexico City. So I did do a lot of bouncing around in terms of just like exploring Estado de Mexico. Um, I, there's Mexico so big. <laughs> I always tell everyone that. So I have done a lot of exploring of Estado de Mexico and there's still more for me to do. That's a little bit of my like bounce around at the beginning. Can you explain to the audience what Pueblo Mexico is? Yeah. So it's basically a magic town. Um, so there are certain towns within Mexico, like all of Mexico, that are coined Pueblo Mexicos for certain like cultural significance. Um, or I've even kind of noticed just like the design, if there's something about the town that makes it special. So where I live specifically in Malinalco, um, there is the pyramid at the top of the town. And the pyramid is a Mexica pyramid. There's like a whole story around like eagle and jaguar warriors being like trained there. Also here is a church um, that was actually painted in agreement, like with the, the conquistadors. Um, it was painted by the Mexica to like paint their own natural interpretation of the Bible. So this church doesn't have the traditional like Catholic paintings you'll see. It's all like nature painted inside, like their interpretation. It's quite interesting. Sounds magical, which hence the name. You said there's less than 10,000 people there. Is that correct? Uh-huh. Yeah. Last I checked. <laughs> so that's obviously very small. So 
as far as an expat community goes, is there one or are you just in the authentic Pueblo of like a Mexican sort of town? Yeah. So it took me a while to find the expat community here, actually, or just find more of the, I like to call them global nomads. Um, So it took me almost six months to actually find out where they are. And so there's this really cool hostel here um, called Tribute. And the owner is a Mexican, but the person who runs it is from Canada, speaks really good English, um, obviously, because they're from Canada, (laughs) but also speaks really good Spanish. They like grew up here. And um, I started hanging out there on Sundays because they do Temescal and just getting more integrated in that community. And then all of a sudden started meeting all these people who are, you know, maybe not expats from America, but they're from other countries. I've met a lot of people from um, like London, like UK area, um, as well as people that just come from different parts of Mexico. Yeah. But it's pretty small. Like Sounds I that tell way. People, it sounds that way. Yeah. I really want to get actually more detail on that because that's interesting. But prior to the next question, can you explain what a Temescal is to the audience, please? Oh, yes. Okay. So if you were to research this on Google, it comes up as a sweat lodge. So what it is, it's a traditional ceremonial experience where um, we have these like volcanic rocks that are like heated up on the fire and you're in this little hut and they cover it with blankets Um, Once you enter inside, it's completely dark and they pour water on it. And it's essentially like a vapor, like a like a bath. But when you do this in a traditional way, the whole idea is that you are going into I call it like a like a cleansing. Right. Because you're just sitting in the dark. There are other people, but you don't really realize it because you're in the dark. And um, it, for me, it's like an opportunity to really clear through like all the mental like stuff because when you're sitting in a dark, hot room, there's not really <laughs> much else to do. Um, and I find it a very cleansing experience. And they say like at the last door, like you're reborn again. And so it's a very ceremonial experience where I do it. The guia, the guide, um, only speaks Spanish. We sing songs in the Temescal. It's a very, I would say, cultural experience for someone who maybe is not familiar with, you know, Mexica or Toltec ways of being. Yeah, I have uh, a group of people here who do it every Monday and Friday, but they've they've added the little ice bath twist on the end of it. <laughs> so we get out and we do like three rounds. Um, you definitely feel like you've purged a lot of one negativity and then also toxic things from your body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a like pumpling on outside. So that's what they do mostly of the time. It's still cold water, but it's coming down from the spring or sometimes there is ice bath. They have... Okay. They've started, Wim Hof still is making an appearance here with his breathing techniques. <laughs> nice, nice. So the expats you have encountered, are they full-time or are they just traveling through the hostel? What's that um, saying? They're, yeah, they're full-time, um, but sometimes they're full-time for a season. So some people come and live here for three or six months, then they'll go back to where they come from, you know, right? Or there are some people that are here full time. I've actually met a lot of people. So it's Mali Nalco and then Chalma, and within Chalma is Chalmita. Um, have not explored there yet, but there seems to actually be more like alternative, like expat community living up there. So it's on my list of things to check out. But yeah, nice. Um, the I'm assuming the seasonal people are just trying to escape the winters in Canada and Europe or whatever that is. Yeah. Um, or they're just here because Mali Nalco is known for being a very like healing place. So energetically, a lot of people come here to heal. Yeah. So yeah, I guess so. It, it sounds like there's natural 
springs and pools and stuff like this. And it's in the mountains. So the climate, I'm assuming, isn't as hot as it is where I'm at on the coast here in Colima. Um, it's subtropical. So I don't know how hot it gets in Colima. I know you're close to the beach, so you're probably warmer. Um, I would say if I'm talking in Fahrenheit, it's probably like 75 to 80 degrees. But right now we're in the rainy season, which is right confusing because it's August, but it's been raining a lot. So I'd say it probably drops down to like 65. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And then, so you mentioned early on that there was an opportunity to purchase a home there. Mm-hmm. Um, sound, maybe you made it kind of imply like there wasn't, and then there was like, maybe they opened it up to foreigners at some point. Can you explain that process and what that means when it came time to purchase a home there? Yeah. So the opportunity was I had been on the search to find my dad's birth certificate so that I could become a citizen. Um, But my dad can purchase things like at that point in time, I'm a citizen now, so I can do things. But at that point in time, because my dad is, you know, and he's, he's born here, right? Like he's a natural citizen. Um, he had to like start the paperwork and start this initial process because when you are not Mexican, like you need to get like a lawyer to represent, it's like a whole thing. So that's where the opportunity came in where my dad was just like, I'm happy to help you because I'm Mexican. (laughs) And it was like, great. I am too, just not yet. (laughs) So yeah, if you wouldn't mind then taking us through a little bit about like the housing market there and what it entails to, obviously you're a citizen. So what would it entail for like an expat who wants to retire in that area to purchase something like maybe some price ranges? Yeah. So where I bought, so I bought houses that were part of like, I live in a fracturamento. Um, it's kind of basically similar to a condominium complex, right? Think of that in a, that's the equal translation. And where I live, it's like a small starter home, maybe like a thousand square feet is around 80,000 USD. However, what I bought is like considered fancy. Uh, most of the people here um, either have inherited land from like generations and generations. And the funny thing about Mali Nalco is it's really hard to find small housing. So there are houses for sale here, but they're like massive mansions. Like when I actually started looking for property here, I asked the realtor, like, don't you have anything that's like two or three bedrooms, right? Like four. And they were like, no, the only houses in Mali Nalco are big. And I was like, Okay. <laughs> Obviously that's not true since I was able to find my homes. However, it was purchased privately from um, a group of owners. They are family related. So that's actually the whole fraction. And so they came up with this plan, right? They bought the land, hired an architect, came up with the ideas, and it was all a private deal. There was no involvement. Like in the US, you have mortgages and this and that, right? Like there's so much that goes into it, but this was all just like a private deal. Um, you know, we were in a situation where it was cash. Are you paying cash? Uh, honestly, credit here, the more I've dug into it, isn't really attractive. Having credit card here, it'll charge you like 30 to 40% interest every month. Um, so loans, not really popular. But, you know, I did some digging to understand what would actually be the cost of this house, like to build it, right? Not the retail price, like the actual build price. And that came out to about 800,000 pesos. So that's like 40,000. So think if you were going to buy a plot of land um, and then you're going to build a house on top of it, you know, probably somewhere around that 40,000 USD just depends on size location. But it is really challenging to find smaller scale housing in Malinoco. It really is. If you Google like homes for sale here, they're all like these like big haciendas. <laughs> that's so interesting. So those big haciendas are from like, 
what, just rich uh, city dwellers who want to have a country home as well? Essentially, yeah. They're pretty much for those people or people who started projects and didn't finish them. And a house like that, like from when I was looking at them, probably like 3 million pesos. Yeah. Okay. Wow. And obviously you fell in love with it. You made the commitment and you can, this wasn't necessarily like a real estate play where you're going to try to flip it in like five years, was it? This is like more of a long-term, like I see myself here. Yeah, this was more of a long-term, I see myself here. Um, I would say like, because it is like a thousand square feet, like probably three, four years I'll live here and then we'll see what happens next, right? Like maybe I'll want to go to a different part of Malinalco because it is bigger, right? And now that I I have more of a awareness and a relationship with people in the local community, it's a lot easier to find, I would say, just more local deals, right? Like I'm not coming in as an extra handle, like a foreigner mm-hmm. or maybe, you know, exploring other places of, of interest, right? I mean, can't really tell you that for sure. All I know is I really do like Malinalco. It's really nice, calm, centered place to live. And so my plan when I entered into this was like three, four years of like consistent living here and experiencing this. Do you see yourself ever utilizing, and I don't know if it still exists or even if it ever really did. I did look into it at one point, but like being a past Spanish colony, I'm under the impression like Mexican citizens can apply for a Spanish citizenship as well. Is that correct? Um, so I think that happens if you have like, cause I asked my friend about it and that happens if you maybe have like a grandparent or like a grandma or like a great grandparent who is Spaniard. I don't believe I have that in my lineage. I'd have to do some research. I don't have it, but I do have a friend whose, um, husband's parents, actually her great grandma turned out being Spanish. So they are in the process of getting their Spaniard uh, citizenship. Yeah. So it is, it is possible. It's just, you have to find in the lineage who was Spaniard. I see. Yeah. Interesting. Cause I was under the impression you just had to, it had to be like coming, you had to be coming from an old, like Spanish colony. They recognize old Spanish colonies as like kind of a loophole you could take advantage of, but that probably is not accurate information. Yeah. There's been a lot of interesting things that I've seen around just assuming if you have your Mexican citizenship, you can get your Spanish citizenship, but that's actually not true. Yeah, good. That's been clarified. Appreciate it. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Before we dive into your podcast, can you actually just tell the audience a little bit like how like what your cost of living is per month, roughly? Yeah. So if I were to solely focus on the fact, like right, take this consideration, I don't have a mortgage or rent. Um, and just solely on the focus of like cost of goods and like food, you know, things like that, not really including extras, like even giving myself margin, I'm looking at like 1500 pesos a month. So that puts it like 6,000, which depending on the conversion day is about like $300 a month. Yeah. Depending on the conversion day, 300 to 350. That's awesome. Just for basic things. Yeah. Yeah. Just food Um, and whatever you need to survive. Yes. However, when I was like renting uh, and I did rent, I would say like a nicer like place when I was living in Toluca, I paid like 17,000 pesos a month, which is no, not 17, 14,000 pesos a month, which is like 400. uh, Yeah, no, it's around 400 to $500. It just depends on the conversion, as I said, Um, for or no, I think I did my math wrong. (laughs) Whoops. but like I always like to tell everyone a normal like rate for rent here 
is probably going to be around $500 to $700, but we're talking like you have a nice house, right? Like for like 40,000 pesos a month, like you have a really nice house. Um, and you know, probably everything is complete stuff. But if you're looking at like Mexico City, or if you're looking at anywhere where there's a lot of expats, you're going to look at rent that's probably cheaper than the US, but still similar. So like in my time, like I've seen places from like 1500 to 2500 USD in Mexico City, um, which I feel like kind of defeats the whole purpose <laughs> of moving abroad, right? <laughs> if we're wanting to save money. <laughs> Agreed. I mean, you go up to like Sayulita or like Puerto Vallarta, you know, you're paying basically US prices. I mean, it's crazy. And if you were just to like venture, you know, a little farther north of Vallarta or a little farther south or inland, even like you can cut your costs in half for sure. Um, and then, like you, if you venture two hours outside of a big city, like you can really start to find some great deals and you're living an amazing life. Yes. I don't really, yeah, I don't really have any of the stress that comes along like with super duper high costs of living, like you would experience in a big major city in the US. Granted, I always tell everyone, I live in a Pueblo Mexico. There's less than 10,000 people. I'm not like super duper close to Mexico City. However, like the next, you know, nearest city to me is Toluca. It's about 45 minutes to an hour away. And um, that's pretty straightforward. Um. You have an interesting podcast called Roaming the Now. Can you mm -hmm. kind of take us through what you do and the message you're trying to send? Yeah. So my podcast, Roaming the Now, really developed from having conversations like the one we're having. I would connect with people. And the first thing they would ask me is, what's it like living in Mexico? Like, how did you navigate the move? Or how did you do this? And, you know, I realized that I could tell people exactly what I did strategically, right? Like savings, um, visa, this and that. But what I can't prepare them for just through telling them strategy is the emotional and psychological changes that happen when you move abroad. And so it really became this forum for just people who have experienced moving abroad to build a life and business in a new country and talk about their experiences more from this emotional, psychological level. Because what I had found through conversations is it wasn't necessarily money, you know, having enough money, um, although it plays a part that like factored into going home, it was more the emotional toll of being in a new country being somewhere where maybe it's not your natural language, the culture shock that really plays a big factor in how well you can, as I call it, thrive abroad. Because what happens is a lot of people end up just surviving abroad because things are just so different and they don't necessarily have like the tools to navigate that emotional experience. And it's kind of like the same thing, right? But for me, I moved abroad with a little bit of push from the universe as well as I wanted to thrive and create a better life for myself. And that's really what I'm focusing on in the message of the podcast is like, it doesn't really matter where you are. You're always going to be there with yourself. And so what's really going to determine your success in moving abroad and your experience is how can you show up for yourself emotionally and psychologically? And by listening to other people who have done this and are sharing different points of view, how can that help you prepare for the move abroad? Or even if you just moved abroad, navigate that experience. What are some common themes? like with the psychological and emotional turmoil that you've encountered through the pod? Yeah. So as you said, a lot of people move abroad to run away from themselves. That's literally one of the things that always comes up. The specific phrase is wherever you go, there you are. Once the three months pass, it's you with yourself in a different country. 
the shiny object is gone. And it's you again, probably dealing with the same things that maybe you were trying to run away from. Um, reverse culture shock is a really big one too, right? You leave for, at least for me, you leave the U S you go to another country, then you get used to the other country. Then you go back and you're just like, Whoa, like the USA doesn't really feel like home anymore. Uh, as well as this whole idea of fear, right? Um, fear of either moving abroad or fear of what happens when you're there. So there's a lot of conversations around how do you hold space for all the emotions that you feel uh, while you're getting ready to do this and, and really about trusting yourself. I think that's like the biggest thing that all these episodes have taught me. Um, I think now I'm recorded like 30 and getting ready for the next season. It's all about trusting yourself and trusting that like you're going to do your best to figure it out as well as like allowing yourself to change your mind if you want to, right? Because as I always say, like living abroad isn't for everyone. And you can grow just as much where you are if you choose to. You don't have to catapult yourself into another country. What kind of things can indicate like, I guess the, the term trusting yourself is is vague, you know, like you hear it a lot and you want I'd like to know what that means. You know, like when I, when I start to trust myself, what kind of signs am I getting to look for and feel, you know, to know that, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm trusting myself. I'm confident I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. So for me and my experience, trusting myself is more so coming from a lens of no matter what happens, I'm taking full responsibility for my experience and I'm going to make this work. And I think that when you are able to put yourself in a seat of, I'm taking full responsibility for my experience. And I know that because I'm taking full responsibility for my experience, I'm going to make the best decisions for myself. We then start to trust ourselves by taking action, right? So you have to slowly make decisions to whole move abroad. And that's your leap of faith and trusting yourself. Or maybe it's like, you quit your job without having another one and you find something, you know, the next thing. That's a small step you can take to really show yourself you can trust yourself right navigating the unknown. Um, as I always said, it doesn't have to be as dramatic as jumping to another country, but I really think this has to do with taking radical self-responsibility and owning the decisions that you make and knowing that because you're owning it, you are really going to do your best to make it work. And that's been my experience of, of trusting myself. I think that's the best definition I've ever heard. 100%. You know, taking full responsibility is a way to plant your flag and know that no matter what, anything that comes up, you are responsible for. You know, for 99% of it, obviously there's fluke things, but you know, it's like just, yeah, full responsibility is a great like indicator of, okay, now I can trust myself because I've had these encounters and worked my way through it and it's worked out. I'd say probably for most people, it will work out better than they think. Yes. I always say that to people, like, for example, if I would have, I would have never really known how good life could be in Mexico if I like didn't take the leap to trust that I was going to do my best to navigate the unknown, to navigate this new chapter. Mm -hmm. um, I would have never known that if I wouldn't have just trusted myself that, hey, I'm doing this and we're going to do the best possible thing that we can. And whatever comes up, like it's going to come up. We're not going to try to deny that it exists. You know, it's all just a really big learning opportunity. And I think that perspective is a really big thing that comes up on the podcast is how are you viewing your experience of what you're experiencing? And, you know, when it comes to the emotional stuff that comes up when you move abroad, 
you know, I have found that there are some people who fully embrace it and are along there for the ride. I'd say I'm one of those people like fully embracing the emotions. This is hard. This is difficult. But, you know, this is experience that I chose for myself. I'm going to do this. And then there's the other part who maybe thought moving abroad was going to be this like magical fairy tale adventure. And then the reality hits and they're just really resisting the emotional aspect, the emotional growth that they're kind of being called forward to do because they decided to put themselves in this basically like catalyst for like a major personal growth. <laughs> right. Um, earlier, you had said something about preferring the term global nomads versus expats. What was there a reason behind that? Do you have a an issue with the term expat? I don't have an issue with the term expat. Um, I think it's fine. However, I found in my experience, if you say expat to a Mexican, they're like, what the hell? Or even if you say expat to someone from London, they're kind of like, huh? Um, just in my experience lately these days, they actually, you know, I've done some research into this. Technically, I am an immigrant, um, right? I left my country in search, <laughs> in search of a better life abroad. And that's totally fine with me. Um, and this may be a little controversial, but I've actually seen some Facebook posts in expat groups where expats will comment on people saying to them and passing their immigrants and they get like really offended by it. But it's like, we are immigrants. So what's wrong with that? Right. Expats. Um, I did some just through talking to people in different parts of the world. Americans are really the only one who use that term for themselves when living abroad. Everyone else like if they're not a diplomat or moving for a role, usually it's just like, oh yeah, like I'm a global citizen, I'm a nomad, things like that. No, it's interesting. I've always embraced the term and twice now come up uh, in conversation where people preferred not to use it for various reasons, you know, like nothing ever pretty, nothing negative came of it. It was just interesting because I've always really liked the term. I thought it was kind of cool, but with the people that you interview, are they primarily in Mexico? Or are they all over the world? Um, I've got Lebanon, Australia, Germany, France, um, where else we've got in South America, Colombia, like, so you're seeing some really interesting experiences of people who were either U S citizens or left to go abroad. Some people who just move from country to country. Um, cause that still is, a you know, it is a, uh, I call it an immigrant experience immigrating to a country that's not yours, even if it is in the Europe continent. And I have had some guests in Mexico. Yeah. And like we kind of alluded to, there seems to be these common themes of people. I mean, obviously adventures, one of them running away. I mean, nowadays with the, the, you know, digital nomad community, a lot of people are able to live all over the world. And are you targeting any type of person specifically, or just anybody who's living abroad from their country of origin? Yeah. So right now, the specific kind of, I would say how the podcast has evolved in its own right based on episodes is it's really just anyone who's left their country of origin and wants to speak to their personal growth experience of living in another country. Yeah. So it sounds like phase two is, so you've done like 30 now episodes and you have a, that's, I guess what series one and you have a series two coming up. Is that correct? So series one was 15 episodes, series two will be 15 episodes, and then series three will be 15 episodes as well. So that will be coming out probably late 
late December or early next year. Um, <laughs> it was kind of crazy the amount of responses I got when I actually launched this podcast. I thought I was going to have such a hard time finding guests, but like they, the floodgates came through. People tagged people showing them my posts like you need to be on this podcast and share your story. And it's kind of been a whirlwind, honestly. That's amazing. Are you driving traffic than what you do professionally as well? Yes. So I am. So I am a move abroad coach. So obviously, if you're curious about moving to Mexico, I could definitely give you my expertise of that more as like navigating as a local. But if you're just curious in general about moving abroad and having support for that, not only strategically, but also emotionally, I'm definitely the person to help you with that. I love it. Marisol, thank you so much. If you could leave our audience with one tidbit of wisdom or encouragement to maybe take that first step into the unknown or whatever it may be for them, what could you say to them? Yes, I would definitely say don't let the fear of striking out keep you from playing the game. I feel oftentimes fear paralyzes us from doing the things that we really want to do, but life is a game and you're not going to find out unless you try things. And sometimes you are going to strike out and sometimes you're going to make mistakes, but you know, everything has a bigger picture and a bigger lens of understanding of the world. So just the more you embrace that, the more you're going to see the world is full of possibilities. Beautifully said. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Awesome, Marisol. Thank you so much for your time. Folks, definitely check out her podcast, Roaming the Now. You can find that on YouTube. You can find that on Spotify or Apple Podcast. And thank you again for joining us. I always appreciate you coming and joining us for these episodes. If you are somebody out there listening who would like to connect directly with me, please feel free to shoot me an email. Always happy to jump on a call with anybody, talk live, talk life situation, talk whatever you feel like talking about. You can reach me at chapin at misfitsandrejects.com. And if you'd like to, again, support Misfits and Rejects, you can do that via buying a t-shirt, heading over to misfitsandrejects.com backslash shop, or giving a monthly donation via Patreon. It's all appreciated, nothing expected, and I look forward to seeing you in another episode soon. Take care. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspires you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.